The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of Crown Point Baptist Church and Pastor Mark Ermler. I'm proud to be an American. Now, having said that, I, I do want to just simply state by way of introduction that even though I love this country and I'm proud to be a citizen of this nation, I, I don't love some of the things that we're committing as a people. I'm not proud of some of the philosophies and some of the lifestyles that we are embracing and we're promoting as a culture. And I believe, and as we go through this week and as we go through the different lessons and the messages that the Holy Spirit has really pressed upon my heart for such a time as this, I believe that we'll recognize and we'll see that America is in desperate need of real deal, sold-out, Bible-believing Christianity. Amen? People who are going to have a heart and a mind and a grit and a wherewithal. People who are going to have the same desire and enthusiasm as was found within those colonial patriots. As was found within the hearts of our founding fathers. You know, when you stop and consider how America was founded. Now, what I'm about to share with you this week and the stuff that we'll highlight, this is not personal opinion. This is public record. These are things, unfortunately, that have been forgotten about. These are things that have been, if you will, collecting dust up on the shelf. And I believe in order for us to understand how to effectively go forward, we must understand what our founding fathers, what our forefathers originally intended and instituted for this nation. Of course, we have been governed by something called the Constitution. And that has successfully, very effectively, led us as a nation for over two centuries. Amen? Of course, we're living in a day and age in which they're seeking to tamper with that, and there's even a liberal and secular groups that are seeking to even rewrite the Bill of Rights and, and make a new uh, system of freedoms, if you will. And of course, ultimately, uh, that is to stifle the voice of Bible truth. But ladies and gentlemen, we must understand something. That truth is right. I am not the author of truth, and neither are you. Popular opinion is not the author of truth, but rather the king of kings is the author of truth. He's also the author of life. He's the author of liberty. He's the one who desires for us to enjoy the pursuit of happiness. And and we'll see this in the morning service. Our founding fathers believed that these things were gifts of God. Things that uh, God, the creator, had given unto us that no government had the right to strip away from a people because they were God-given. But when you stop and consider how America was founded, I believe that you will clearly recognize how greatly we have strayed as a nation. Our founding fathers, though they varied in their religious beliefs, and though they may have not saw, uh, seen eye to eye on, on, on different things, they were ultimately, when you just t- take a step back and look at their lives, they were men of faith. Roughly 97% of them were practicing Christians. They had a moral guidance. They honored the word of God. They wanted to be decent and upstanding. They wanted to have the right kind of character. They wanted to ultimately please the Lord in their integrity, in their purity, in their morality, regardless of what the modern history textbooks are trying to indoctrinate the culture with today. At least 50 out of the 55 men who framed the Constitution of the United States were professing Christians. They weren't Secret Service Christians, amen? I mean, they were, they were willing to let their light shine, and they didn't hide it underneath a bushel. Eleven out of the first 13 states required, this is amazing, they required faith in Jesus Christ and in the Bible as qualifications for holding public office. 
you could not run for government unless you publicly stated that you believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and you believe that the Bible was the Word of God. Interesting, isn't that? Isn't that don't you find that to be the case? And these men who pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to establish a country where life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness could flourish understood that there were two things that ultimately would allow America to rise in greatness. I believe that you'll find here, and and we said all that to bring us to the point of what we read in Deuteronomy chapter number 4. We find two rhetorical questions brought to us in the Word of God, and I believe here tucked away in the book of Deuteronomy chapter number uh, 4, we find the secret of national greatness. Now right now, there is a campaign, if you will, at least there was, and and there is a a form of government or, or a certain person that is seeking to make America great again. And I'm all for America being great, amen? I'm all for this nation to be that bastion of hope and of liberty, a place where freedom can flourish, a place where the gospel of Jesus Christ can go forward loud and clear, amen? But we must step back and understand that politics ultimately are not the answer. Politicians ultimately are not the answer. Now, I believe that we need new policies, amen? I believe believe that... that we need a new system of government. Get, get back to the way we were founded. Amen? But ultimately, that is not the answer. What we find here mentioned in verse number 7 and 8 is what will allow any nation. Because the Bible says, for what nation is there? What nation? Any nation that does this will be blessed by heaven. Our founding fathers desired that. I wish I could take you through the hundreds of quotes I wish I could take you through the dozens of testimonies and the lives that their actions reflected what I just said. Amen? But we notice in verse number 7, and we've only got about 20 minutes in the Sunday school hour and, or less, and so we're going to try to cram this in real quick. We notice in verse number 7 that the Bible is teaching us that God must have the preeminence. God must have first place. Notice, for what nation is there so great who have God so nigh unto them as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon Him for. Man, I love it. The fact that we have that phrase, one nation under God, in the Pledge of Allegiance. Where, where did that start? It started, of course, with what Abraham Lincoln said in his Gettysburg Address, how that this nation, even though we were struggling and we were facing a civil war, that this nation under God shall not perish from the earth. But if we ever come to a point where we're no longer under God, we will perish from the earth. I find it interesting, on April 30th, 1789, this was when George Washington was sworn into public office. In his first inaugural address, President Washington I may have said the wrong name. President Washington said this, No people can be bound to acknowledge and adore. Now, we know what that word adore means, right? I mean, there's just a love, a reverence, a thankfulness. You're just getting on your knees and you're shouting out, Praise God. Acknowledge and adore the invisible hand which conducts the affairs of men more than the people of the United States. Every step by which they have advanced to the character of an independent nation, seems to have been distinguished 
by some token of providential agency. And they believed that God helped them in their fight for freedom. And we'll see it in the morning message. They believed that their signing of the Declaration of Independence, their uh, literally becoming the most wanted men in the world and going against the greatest empire the world had ever known. The sun never set on the British Empire. They believed that this was God's will. And they were going to accomplish God's will through his presence and by his power. And George Washington uh, was one who represented that, and he was a man who lived that, and he was a man who desired that for God to have the preeminence. One of the three rallying cries in the colonies during the fight for freedom was, we have no king but King Jesus. Many armies and militias would would march out to battle with that on their standards, on their flags, on their banners. Others would say, resistance to tyranny is obedience to God. In 1774, the Massachusetts Congress, of course, Massachusetts was a hotbed uh, of the initial fighting with Boston, uh, with the siege that took place in Lexington and Concord, where where the shot was heard around the world, and where uh, the first blood was spilt, The Massachusetts Congress issued the formal declaration. Two years before the the Declaration of Independence was signed, they made this statement. Resistance to tyranny becomes the Christian and social duty of each individual. Continue steadfast or don't give up the fight. And with a proper sense of your dependence on God or don't don't rush out, you know, trusting in yourself and your musket, you, you needed to be depending upon God, minute men. You need to be trusting in the Lord as you go out on the field of battle. Uh, he, they said, with a proper sense of your dependence on God, nobly defend those rights which heaven gave and no man ought to take from us. Of course, you're probably familiar with the Boston Tea Party. Maybe you're familiar with that. All right, very good. The men who were involved with the Boston Tea Party made this statement. A freeborn people are not required by the religion of Jesus Christ to submit to tyranny, but may make use of such power as God hath given them to recover and support their laws and liberties. We implore, or we are begging the ruler above the skies that he would make bare his arm in defense, or he would roll up a sleeve. He would make bare his arm in defense of his church and people and let Israel go. In September, I believe it was September 9th, I may be mistaken on the date, I don't know why I didn't jot it down here, but September 9th, it's either the 7th, the 6th, or the 9th, so we'll just pick any, mini money, mo. all right? No, I'm just joking. It's, it's in history, it's in the book in the back, America, Journey of Faith and Freedom. But in September, early September of 1774, the same year that these declarations, if you will, these statements came out, the First Continental Congress was meeting there in Philadelphia in Independence Hall, and there was a, an aide that rushed into the room and had an intelligence report and had word that the, Boston, uh, that the British ships in Boston Harbor were going to open up their cannon ports and decimate the dock, decimate the homes and the businesses and just open up their guns and just blow cannon, if you will, out upon the innocent civilians. Well, our founding fathers, they received word of this. And the first thing they did was not get all up in arms and get upset, get angry or or frustrated and bitter. Rather, the first thing that they did was they got on their knees and they began to pray and ask God to please deliver them from this and for the British not to 
fire upon the innocence of Boston and the businesses of Boston Harbor. This moment in early September 1774 set a precedent of prayer unto the God of heaven. We're not talking about the God of the coexist bumper sticker here, all right? We're talking about the King of Kings. They began from that moment to the end of the war for independence. Every single time they met in session, they started with prayer to the Lord. These men understood truths like Psalm 33, verse number 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Psalm 144, verse number 15 says, Happy is that people that is in such a case. Yea, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. Proverbs 14, 34 says, Righteousness. Of course, this is not talking about our own good deeds because we know that they're nothing but filthy rags. Amen? But this is talking about the presence of Christ living through us. Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to who? Any people. And we find these verses, just a few in Scripture, that this is speaking about any nation. This could be applied to any civilization, any country. Blessed is that nation whose God is the Lord, where God is preeminent. You know, I just mentioned that verse, righteousness exalted the nation. It is incredible. It's incredible and very interesting to find that Washington, General Washington was concerned about the moral convictions of his men. Many times he ordered, and I quote from his writings, he ordered all officers and soldiers not engaged in, act, uh, in actual duty, a punctual attendance of divine services, to implore the blessing of heaven upon the means used for our safety and defense. He said, anybody who's not involved in a job or standing at a post, you get to church right now, and you get in there, you go hear some old-fashioned preaching, you get on your knees, and you beg God for his help as we defend what heaven originally gave us and what future descendants and our children deserve to get from us, and that is the preservation of freedom. Washington very much desired holy living. I mean, regardless of what you may hear with the loose lips on the History Channel, you know, Washington, you know, cursing and taking the Lord's name in vain, that stuff repulses me. I, I was going to watch a documentary years ago uh, with, uh, about Washington crossing the Delaware to go surprise the Hessians. And by the way, that whole story is just an amazing account of the providential hand of God. And I want to tell it, but I can't because we have no time, all right? So just bear with me. But, but there, and Washington has seemed to be good, but then they've got Washington uh, speaking all sorts of foul language, and man, you, you can't turn, turn the TV off fast enough because you don't want to get yourself violated with that stuff. You know what I'm saying? Wow, it just, it appalls me. Because what they're doing is they're slapping the testimony and they're uh, slapping the testimony of George Washington, slapping him in his face. They're dragging his testimony through the muck and the mire of stuff that did not happen. Anyway, I just had to go on a rampage just for a second. Amen? Back to the message. Okay, I'll tidy myself up. Here we go. No. Washington very much desired holy living among his men and would not tolerate wickedness. He, and I quote, forbid profane cursing, Swearing and drunkenness. That's from his writings. For instance, the third time a soldier was caught taking the Lord's name in vain, he was whipped with 50 lashes and drummed out of the army with a dishonorable discharge. By the way, if a man was found attempting to commit sodomy, he was court-martialed. 
Right away, dishonorably discharged uh, from the army and sentenced for punishment by his state. And it's interesting to note some of the punishment that the states had for the abomination of homosexuality. Now, where did they get that from? Because they had an intolerance? Well, those people are, you know. No, it's because it came from the word of God. They wanted to respect and honor the Lord. We have greatly strayed as a people. They loved the sinner, but they hated the sin. As a people, we began to live by what later, was, uh, what later became our nation's motto, in God we trust. Francis Scott Key wrote about this in the final verse of the Star-Spangled Banner. Of course, this was penned upon that British frigate as he was in the midst of that war for 1812 and the British Empire was coming back to take over America and, and as he was looking there at the fort and, and what a stirring moment of history that was. I mean, I wish I could somehow, if, if there ever was a cinema in heaven, I doubt there is, but if there was one in heaven if I, and there was some kind of an invisible angelic host filming that scene, I would love to see that moment of history. Where, as the clouds and the fog and the smoke began to part, he could see, oh, glory, still waving, waving there on the flagpole. That, I don't know about you, but as an American, that stirs me up. Amen. He began to write those words of the star-spangled banner. Well, in the fourth and final verse of this national anthem, he makes this statement. Oh, thus be it ever when free men shall stand between their loved home and the war's desolation. Blessed with victory and peace, may the heaven-rescued land praise the power, or praise the Lord, praise the power that hath made us and preserved us a nation. Then conquer we must when our cause it is just, and this be our motto, in God is our trust. And the star-spangled banner in triumph shall wave. Now what is causing the star-spangled banner to wave in triumph? What is bringing it to that point of prosperity and success, but rather remaining under God? And Lincoln, of course, as we've already mentioned, acknowledged that, that this nation under God shall not perish from the earth. Maybe some of you remember when the words under God were, ple- uh, were added to the Pledge of Allegiance. And this all was brought about by Dwight Eisenhower and the congressman who decided to go to a church service in honor of Abraham Lincoln's birthday. And that preacher, anointed with the power of God, began to preach, and he shared with those men. Man, I would be scared out of my boots. I'd be standing up there like Barney Fife, you know? <sighs> you know? The President of the United States sitting in your midst and all that. And just, but he just preached. He lifted up his voice. He just preached truth. He said, you know, the other day I was listening to my kids play school there in the house. Now, I don't know of any child who wants to play school But anyway, these kids were playing school in the house. And the older daughter was, uh, you know, helping with the class, and she was being the teacher. And the other children, they were being the students. And then it was time for us to salute and pledge the flag. And as I was in my study, and as I was listening to those children, and as I was listening to our pledge, it struck me that our history as a people is different than any other nation in the world. That our pledge could literally, unfortunately, be adopted by any republic. But that should not be the case because we are different as a nation and as a people because of our founding. And right there, he challenged those men to consider in adding those words under God, one nation under God, to the Pledge of Allegiance. Those men, they 
stepped away just a few days later. It was heavy on their hearts and minds, and uh, it started in, in the process, and it passed through the Congress and Senate and got to the desk of Eisenhower, and he signed it, and man, those words were added to the Pledge of Allegiance, under God. And President Eisenhower made this statement. By the way, are you still with me? Would you say amen? I'm speaking loud and fast. And it's like, man, when is this guy going to take a breath? But just bear with me because I'm trying to cram in as much as possible before we end in about three or four minutes. In 1954, Eisenhower made this statement. In this way, or by adding the words under God, in this way we are reaffirming the transcendence of religious faith in America's heritage and future, which means that we are putting God back where he needs to be. Our faith in God, trusting in the Lord, wanting Him to be our trust, that is where we need to be as a people. In this way, we shall constantly strengthen those spiritual weapons which forever will be our country's most powerful resource in peace and war. Or what is America's greatest strength but God Himself? From this day forward, the millions of our school children will daily proclaim in every city and town every village and rural schoolhouse, the dedication of our nation and our people to the Almighty. He acknowledged this pledge, yes to the flag, was something in which we were dedicating every day millions of voices. Once again, we were pointing our hearts back to God. Saying, God, we will only remain this way as a nation if we stay under you. If God, you have the preeminence in our hearts and in our homes. He said this, and I love this statement, to anyone who truly loves America, nothing could be more inspiring than to contemplate this rededication of our youth on each school morning to our country's truest meaning. Or getting America back to our roots. And that is being one nation under God. Now that's the first half of the message. Let me give you the second point, and we're going to conclude. Point number one, it's a very simple message, just two points. Point number one, didn't know a a two-pointed message could be so long, amen? But point point number one is God must have the preeminence. Point number two, God's word must have the priority. God's word must have the priority. That's what's mentioned in verse number eight. What nation is there so great that has statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law? And ladies and gentlemen, just to leave this with you and we'll conclude, uh, our founding fathers quoted the Bible three times more than any other source. Out of 15,000 plus documents, letters, diaries, etc., that have been discovered and painstakingly searched and taken note of, history records that our founding fathers quoted the Bible three times more than any other book. And then the authors that they quoted from, like William Blackstone and others, those books that, that came in second or third or fourth place, the books that they referenced then after the Word of God, those sources quoted the Bible more than any other source. Our founding fathers established our government on principles directly discussed in Scripture. And we'll get into that this week. They wanted it taught to their children. You, you can right now download the 1777 New England Primer from online and you will be amazed at how our children learn the alphabet and sentence structure and all that stuff based on biblical principles. And this was how our founding, this was how our founding fathers were raised and this is how they desired America to be. A nation that would follow the principles and precepts of the word of God. I'll conclude with this quote. John Adams, 
Does anybody know who he was? He was Washington Adams Jefferson. He was the second president, wasn't he? Amen. That's the only way I know my presidents is by a little tune from school. Amen. John Adams reflected in his diary on February 22nd, 1756. So this is literally 20 years before the Declaration of Independence was signed. He was just writing his diary and he made this observation. He said, suppose a nation in some distant region, he had no idea that one day he would be fighting for freedom and establishing the United States. Suppose a nation in some distant region should take the Bible for their only law book and every member should regulate his conduct by the precepts there exhibited. What a utopia. Of course, a different meaning than what we think of in the utopia today with socialism. What a utopia, what a paradise would this region be? Heavenly Father, I pray that you just bless these thoughts. Lord, really, we did not conclude. We're just in the middle of this. But for the sake of time, ending it here. And I pray, God, that you would help us to not look at the government and be all upset at the government, point our finger at the government and say, shame on them for going the wrong way. Lord, it comes back to the we, we the people. And Lord, I pray if we're going to make a difference that we would make sure that you have a preeminence in our hearts, our homes, and our churches, that your word has a priority in our hearts, our homes, and in our churches. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of Crown Point Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.